So what happens if you entered into a program or a way of life, and the way of life has very sound principles, and you've been following them and doing the best you can with it, a strong intent, showing up, being of service, keeping whatever commitments, doing inventory processes, and yet still there seems to be something that's not right. It doesn't seem like it stabilizes. Yet you know, watching others and, and in your own time, that the principles that are being entertained are pretty sound. <coughs> That's what happened with me, in a way. I was just involved in recovery for a long time and doing the job and everything like that. And I was getting relief, but it was not... Uh, it never stabilized. It was always precarious. And, and how it was held was it was based on what I did. Even though there was reliance on something greater than me, I was actually playing the bigger role. Because if I didn't do what I thought or other people told me I needed to do to be at the point of accessing that power greater than me, I would not be able to have that power greater than me's influence in my life. So in a sense, I was the greater power. And uh, so I looked at it, things happened to me, and I came to another idea of the whole situation. Because alcoholism is, it is a disease in the mental process. You can't take an x-ray and find it. You can't do an MRI scan and find it. You can't, there's not a tumor in your right side that's alcoholism. It's, it's in the mental process. So as, as the mind thinks, its thinking is infected with alcoholism. So what alcoholism is to me is like an extreme subdivision of self-centeredness. Basically, most of the helmets we're wearing are self-centered. You know, everything is seen as how it pertains to us, to some degree or another. Alcoholics, it's extremely how it pertains to us. Yeah. So the I, me, my, the orbit of the stationary planet called Paul, the I, me, my is, has a very, very tight orbit. Maybe others have a little wider orbit so they can have family in there or something like that. <laughs> ours is basically, I, me, I, I, me, I, my. And it is in the thinking and in the interpretation or in perception. It's a disease of perception and thinking. So it's in the mental process. And so the mental process, <clears throat> again, you can't find a self with an X-ray. There is no self. It's not located in your right elbow or underneath your pancreas. There is no thing called self in any of our bodies. Self is, to me, a product of the mental process. The mental process has made up a sense of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Maybe it came to that conclusion based on its perception of the body, and then going, oh, it must be this, and therefore it started to think about life from this. Yeah. So when I was a kid, there was a large period of time where there was no self-reflection because there was no idea of a self yet. So I was engaged, like when I was playing, I was playing. That was all I was doing. There was no concepts of time, so I didn't entertain, will I be playing next week? I had no idea next week. If I had no idea about beauty and ugliness, so my mother wasn't defined by how she looked. She was just my mother, and I loved her, yeah? And there was natural engagement and intimacy and spontaneity. Even when I flipped out, it would hit and then go. 
with not leaving a trace. On the adults it would leave a trace, but not on me. Yeah? Boom, 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 boom. So there was a way of living that was being expressed, and that way of living changed at some point, where the thinking process started to think about itself. So it started to self-reflect. Instead of just being engaged with your mom and dad and playing and this and that, obviously you weren't looking in the mirror and seeing, oh, I need some gap clothes and you know sunglasses when you're three or four years old. You know, it wasn't happening. You were just engaged. Then there was that self-reflection started happening, and the mind started to think about what? Itself. But the itself it thought about is part of the mental process. The mental process produces that idea of being a self. So the mental process started to think about a thought it had. Yeah? But now that thought it had wasn't held as a thought. It was held as the thinker of the thoughts. It was the held as the liver of the life, the liver of the life, <laughs> and the kidney of the seer. Yeah? No. And the seer, and the hearer, and the feeler, and the taster, and the toucher. So. The mental process, verbing, I like to call it selfing, because it's, there is no noun. The selfing causes or, or makes up a sense of being a noun. So as the mind is selfing or thinking and perceiving, it's perceiving from this as being real. And this is what I am. Yes, or I, I'm in a body or I have a body, but somehow it's intricately connected to the body. Yeah. So now the thought of being a self isn't seen as a thought. It pops up and says, I'm the thinker of these thoughts. Or these thoughts are about me. So now it becomes the noun of the mental process. But it's still a product of the mental process. That's why in recovery and any other spiritual quote-unquote group, they will always say that self, the small self, cannot get out of self. Why is that? Said all over, everywhere you go, self can't get out of self. Mind, the mind, the discriminating mind cannot get out of the discriminating mind. Why the hell not? Why? Because let's say the self is a product of a mental process. How could that product leave the mental process and be real somewhere other than where its, its realm is, which is in the mental process? In other words, it's not a real self. It only appears real in the mental process. If it ever got up and left the mental process, which is impossible, it would, be, it would disappear. Yeah? It can't appear to be a self outside selfing. No matter how much you think, and no matter how much you interpret life from the point of view of self, it never makes a self up to be real. It just makes the illusion of it up. So it's sort of like, you ever see those pads where they have all these pictures on them? And then you go like this, and it becomes a moving picture. That's what the mind is doing. There's individual moments with lots of gaps, and the mind's just going, and it looks like you as a continual historical figure living a life. With unbelievable leaps, because when you're a kid, your personality does not resemble at all the personality you're calling yourself to be now. Give me a break. It was not even close. So, and the, thing, the funny thing is, the person who you're worrying about, yeah, about 20 years from now, you're assuming it's going to be the one you think you are now. It ain't. The personality and the sense of self is going to change. So you're worrying about a complete stranger, <laughs> really, about what's going to happen to him or her, because it ain't going to be the him or her you're feeling you are now. It's not. It's going to change. That's what happens. So, all right, so the mental process 
has maybe infected with alcoholism. So the thinking, which creates or formulates the sense of being a self, is infected with alcoholism. So now, that self that you're thinking is you, the thinking about that is alcoholic. That's why we only have a daily reprieve. That's why there is no real forever recovery. It's just a day at a time. Because we just heard about another guy, 27 years old, and he went out. 27 years in, in recovery. Because the mental process is still infected with that thinking. No matter how, if you haven't had a drink for 40 years, the mental process still has that latent potential. It's still producing false evidence that can appear real to you if you're not in what we say a fit spiritual condition. If you start taking yourself to be this and that, then the thoughts that are coming from this and that are going to seem real to you. And when that false evidence appears real, what usually occurs? A reaction that complies with that vision, which is you act as if it's so. So instead of being living in a pause and checking out the false evidence, like the false evidence, hey, my girlfriend just slept with some guy last night. I know it for a fact. You know? So there's the false evidence, but it's appearing real to you. So as soon as you see that girlfriend, you're on her. You motherfucker, I can't fucking believe that. And so, and immediately, maybe you were having a little difficulty, now you're up on stalking charges. So you've got a restraining order. And then you enter as this onto the bureaucratic flypaper of this world, if you know, if you live the way I live as an alcoholic you get involved in consequences. Shit hits the fan, and you're stuck now. So for a five-minute acting out, you're paying for months after months, getting your analysis tests, going to see a probation officer, back to court again, doing this, doing that. So The thing is, so the daily reprieve is based on, or contingent on, the maintenance of your spiritual condition. This is one of the big dilemmas with this whole process, because the main root of the system called self-centeredness, yeah, and this mental process, is the act of being identified as that. See, even when people are talking about self as if it's an object that's driving them crazy, what, what they feel is being driven crazy is selfing also. Yeah? So selfing is recognizing the disease, but it doesn't know that it's the source of it. <laughs> That's why even when it gets a solution to disease, it starts looking a, a lot like the disease, because the disease is what's entertaining the solution, which is the solution. Yeah? Self can't get out of self. So in recovery, it goes, all right, you look at your history, and it says, I was talking to a guy from... Uh, from South America to Central America today. And he's he's been in hope forgive me, I'm not this isn't personal if you ever hear this. <laughs> he's been in re rehab now since January, different rehabs. And he's talking to me with incredible sincere honesty. Hey, do you think I have a problem? <laughs> I said, Well let's see now. You've been in a rehab after rehab repairs now June, so six months, yes. I say you do. And he says I'm 99% and 99.1% sure I can't smoke marijuana anymore. But it's that 9%, not zero. I said, Jesus Christ, don't you understand? That's the disease. That's the parasite. It's, it's jacked into your thinking, and it's, it's leading you into situations by thought. And every time a thought is introduced to the system by the parasite of alcoholism, you being identified as it think it's your thought. 
And as soon as you think it's your thought, it lends credence to that thought. If you could see it as not yours, you'd see the insanity of it. But if you're holding that thought, this is my thought, you'll ruminate over it. You'll, it's like swirling some wine in your mouth. Hmm, you'll think, this tastes too good. Yeah, maybe I can still smoke some marijuana. <laughs> you know? And you'll, put, you'll start entertaining false evidence as if it's real. Which is really that you have an option when you don't have an option. You may have an option thinking, I'm going to smoke or not, but what's going to happen to you is optionless. The same shit that, <laughs> if you're lucky, the same thing will happen to you. The degrees of it could get much worse. So, first of all, do not waste any time trying to convince this. Because, first of all, it's defined by a system called, it can be totally convinced five minutes and then unconvinced the next minute. As you know, right? I've seen a lot of people with utmost sincerity say, that's that, I'm finished, complete, I'm totally convinced the next day they'll love it again. And yet they were totally sincere when they were sharing it. This thing cannot be convinced because it is based on convinced, unconvinced. This can be convinced. You can get what's happened to you. You're conscious. You have a mind that can know or cognize things. It can cognize that you've gotten your ass kicked. <laughs> and that you can have a sober mind, not that little mental process, but a sober mind and come to a conclusion or become convinced and then you will not practice what you need to do or entertain what you need to entertain because you feel like it, you will be a commitment. You will make a commitment to the situation. And that is the sound principle. Not doing it when you want to do it and then not doing it when you don't want to do it but just recognizing the situation of this apparatus, it has a disease of mind. Yes? As long as it's thinking, the thinking is infected with alcoholism. 27 years, 35 years, 2 months, 1 week, it doesn't matter. It can take the greatest spiritual giants down, it can crush some person who just had a week. There's no difference. Yeah? If there's no immunity to the thought, it's going to introduce it. It's going to introduce its plan for you through thought. It's going to tell you a lot of things, a lot of advertising, and it's going to bring you to a point where I call fuck it, and you're going to end up at that point, fuck it, and you're going to comply with that statement. You're going to go, fuck it. And then you're going to reach out for that beer, or reach out for that needle, or call up that dealer, and then the shit hits the fan. Now you're running the gauntlet of shit and fan, and all you're praying for is, please, will one or two fans get turned off? You know? <laughs> please, let me not get arrested this week. <laughs> so what is, how do we maintain that spiritual condition? To me, if you're identified as a self, you're taking this to be you, very deeply or very indirectly, but that is seen to be you. So then you start with this as your primary condition. I'm this. Yeah? Now this tries to get spiritual. If you really looked at it from afar, it is totally ridiculous. How could a body become spiritual? So what the mind does, it tells you what a body would look like if it was spiritual. It would have yoga pants on, have the prana, you know, these going to all these things, have the mats, yes, yes, eating real bacon and sitting there, have bright eyes and polished skin, get all rubbed and Exfoliated, shiny, and ah, yeah, okay. I'm spiritual. I'm meditating. 
I'm yogaring, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Yes. So it looks like you're spiritual. And that's good enough for it, because that's all it's based on, is looking. The whole problem here is, you come in here and you're in a dilemma. Which one are you going to save, your ass or your face? For me, I actually believe my face was my ass when I came in here. I thought the image the head was presenting as me was me. That's called being identified as self. And I was actually trying to save that. And how you save that is by making yourself look like you're saved. It has nothing to do with being saved. It's like you look like you're saved. <laughs> All right, so here I am as this. So I'm in a dilemma, and then a recovery says, yeah, perhaps there's a better way. All right, tell me which is, what better way is that? Trusting something infinite rather than your finite self. Perfect statement. Trusting something infinite rather than your finite self. If you trust something infinite, right, it can be infinitely trusting. If you trust something infinite, it can be infinitely trusting. You can truly, truly relax. It's not based on circumstances and situations. It's not based on the narrative playing God telling you if you should trust something or not. If you meet something that's infinite, it can be infinitely trustworthy. Yeah? Takes it totally out of time. So, all right, perhaps there's a better way. Yeah, I'm all for that. Yeah? All right, so now I start practicing. But I don't realize the truth of the dilemma I'm in. I think I'm obsessed with this idea of self, but I don't see I'm identified as a self. It's very difficult to see it. That's what usually you need to hear it from some outside source. Some people get it, but most people have to hear the message from somewhere else. So if I'm identified as this body, and now I'm going to try to become spiritual, the best I can do is try to graft spirituality to this body with the same strategy I've had with everything else. Maybe spirituality will give me an advantage here, and a strategy here. Yes. I will be a better self. Really, most people really don't. They want everything to change, but they want to be just as they are. <laughs> you know what I mean? They really don't want to do anything about this. They want to do everything about that. Yeah? They think if that got different, this would be a whole lot different. You've got to see, you and I give everything all the meaning it has. You are a big player in, in quote-unquote, your life. Life is not doing it to you. No. So... All right, so here I am, identified as this. So the best I can do is try to become spiritual as this. Now, that's not going to hold water well. When the shit hits the fan, basically there goes your spirituality. And then it's always based on getting to the next meeting. If it's eight hours, that's like a no man's land, or the next retreat, or the next yoga class. So it's always going to be based on circumstances and situations for you to reestablish yourself into your spiritual condition. Now, to me, this is the how and why of the whole recovery program, which means it's a very comprehensive take of the program. When someone says a how and why of a program, that's a pretty big uh, comprehensive view. So the how and why of the program of recovery is to quit playing God, because it doesn't work. Yeah? So to me, this is playing God. So now, your mental process making up the sense of being a self, and you, your mind, not the conditionality, but the mind has become identified as that. Yeah. So now you take yourself to be this, and you're trying to become spiritual. Has it worked out? Because all the spirituality that you have will be based on what you did, or didn't do, or what you have, or don't have. 
And what's going to tell you how you're doing is going to be your head, isn't it? Or an authority that you make up, which you won't believe anyway. I mean, you could go to the greatest spiritual master that you have totally bowed down to every morning, and they, and they actually said this to you, you have been totally okay, you are totally okay, and you will be totally okay. You may feel that for about a half an hour, and then you go home and think about it. No, he's wrong. She's wrong. I've got to meditate. You are the authority of all authorities. Yeah? So here I go. So now I'm attempting to make, I'm trying to do things to become spiritual. And of course, this is going to critique how I'm doing. Yeah? So let's say it says, all right, you go on a month retreat, and then without that should do it. Okay, I go on a month retreat. I meditate 13 hours a day. Jesus Christ, you know. All this incredible pain, my knees are shot and everything. And then I leave, and about a day later, it's gone. It's just gone. It has no thing. So what does it tell me? Well, do a three-month retreat. All it does is more. That's all. It doesn't look at the formula. It just says you've got to do more. Yeah? The whole point is, the best way to maintain a spiritual condition is to be one. Not as a self, because that ain't it. But to be one, to recognize you are a spiritual condition. And in that recognition, that's the best way to maintain a spiritual condition. It perpetuates. Yes? Like electromagnetism. It's infinite. They don't know which started what, but electric electricity produces magnetism, magnetism, electricity. Well, the awareness that you're a spirit formulates the spiritual condition, which allows you to what? To travel lighter as what? A spirit. So it's in the living of it that lubricates it. Yeah? It's in the day-to-day minutia, that's, its, that's where it's reveling in. It's in this moment, yeah? and no other, no past, no future moment, but this moment is what your attention is drawn to. Not with a history about who you are and who you aren't, and not with a hopeful expectation, but the naked awareness of what's going on now, which is conscious contact. <clears throat> It is unbelievably relaxing, but not as a self. Because a self is determined by time. So a self remembers when it was flipped out and believes it will be flipped out later. So if you, let's say, arrive, and this is the trip, you think you did something to arrive somewhere, as soon as, because you believed you did something to arrive there, you're going to believe you can do something to get kicked out of there. That's not a spiritual condition that you can rest on or rely on. That's a circumstantial, conditional condition brought to you by a mental process. Always engaged in time. So there will definitely be a moment that you'll do something or not do something that you will lose it. That's not peace. That's what it says in recovery. We'll know a new peace and a new happiness. Not a peace and a happiness of the mental condition, the mental experience, which is all in time, but a timeless peace and a timeless serenity. Not based on what you do or don't do, but based on its own nature, which is serene and peaceful. But you can't access that as this, because you are that, but not as this. So, that is that, but when it's seen as this wants that, that becomes ungraspable. Yes? It's what St. Francis says, what's looking is now what you're looking for. What's looking is what you're looking for. Both statements have looking in it. But there's a huge difference between the looking is a little bit of one word put in between, which is you. 
And the you is what causes you not to know what's looking, is what you're looking for. Because what happens is, when the you drops out, what's looking is looking for. That's all that's going on. What's looking is what you are looking for. A whole story about a life can be written after that. But what's looking is looking for. That's what's going on. So what's looking or what's aware is what's aware of. And all day you're aware of things, aren't you? So the awareness is there, let's say, like a stillness or a noun, the noun of all nouns, yeah? And its verb is to be aware of. And we're engaged in that. We're the apparatus for that. We're the conveyor of that. We're the interface where that awareness can become aware of things here. It's truly like that telescope in the sciences. This telescope has certain lenses that affords the possibility if someone who's conscious looks through them, they can see the stars as if they've come closer. Now, if you saw the event from outside, the stars haven't moved closer. It's a perceptual thing. Because everything here is based on seeming. Everything appears to be true or false to you. Everything is seemingly here. It's all perceptual. It's all mirrors. Yeah? That's why today, if I'm not in good condition, something can be a problem. The next day I'm in good condition, it's not a problem. The next day I'm not in good condition, it's a problem again. My head gives meaning to things. That's what it does. It's a subjective experience here. Yes? So everything seems to be true or false to you. Based on where you're looking at it from. <laughs> if you're looking at it from a body, this, is, this world is as real as you are. If you're looking at this world from the body, this world is as real as you are. That's going to be the subjective experience. We don't have a unified experience here. Everything is subjective. Every one of us is a different seemingly telescope placed in a different location to see the world. But what's looking through all the telescopes is the same looker, the same seer. So what's seeing is all the yous that are looking for. All the telescopes that are looking for is the what's seeing. That's what's allowing that event to occur. Not you. You're just a telescope. You're a bunch of lenses that allow consciousness to experience itself here. Consciousness or awareness comes through this and experiences itself as other, or as things, and has an experience here, a subjective one. But if you take away the scientist, does the telescope see? No. It has all the lenses, but there's no seeing. If you take away the animating principle of the body, that body's eyes could probably still work. Its ears can work, but there's no seeing or hearing going on. Because what was hearing and what was seeing has left. So the scientist has walked away from the telescope. The telescope is still there, but it's obviously the telescope has never been seeing the stars. This has never seen one star, has never heard one note, has never felt one touch, has never smelled, nor has it ever tasted anything. It's consciousness. But the apparatus, the mental process, that verbing produces this idea of being a noun, and its major movement is claiming. So now, conscious contact, which is what's occurring here, this place is being in contact by consciousness, not you. But conscious contact is claimed by the mental process, and the mental process, I'm in conscious contact, I meaning this. 
So now you believe you're seeing and hearing, feeling, tasting and touching. And that gives your mind the right to write a story about it all. Instead of just noting the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, the story you write is about who saw what. Who lost that? Who got this? Yeah. All the emphasis is on the pseudo-nouns. The seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, very, very underappreciated. But the emphasis on who's seeing, a huge story is written by your mental process every freaking day. And it doesn't even just entertain, entertain this, it expands it with a conceptual idea of time. So in this moment, there's, there's the, the mental realm of past and future. And so most of our days is experienced in a, we're having a mental experience. We're aware of a mental experience. And why we can't seem to break away from that mental experience is we're identified with the star of that. The idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. You're so bored by someone else's mental experience when they share it with you, right? Jesus Christ. When they start talking about what's not happening to them, I'm very clear it's not happening. So I want to do something to get away. But then I'm running and what's not happening in my head, and I'm totally, totally confused by it. Why? Why is it that I have immunity to yours, but I don't have immunity to mine? Because the, the whole key is in the yours and mine. The my is the act of identification or possession. Just like a thought is a thought, but when it becomes my thought, you own it now. It's like a herd animal for your head. It grooms it, milks it, <laughs> writes a story about it, spawns some and has more thoughts, and then creates a whole herd of thoughts. And then it tries to run roughshod over them. Yes, let's go. Let's think about good things today. <laughs> Bad things. Yeah. You try to control like a, you know, a herd of cats. There's absolutely no way you fucking control them. But you assume there is because you believe they're yours. You're the thinker of them. Why aren't they doing what I wanted them to do? They're mine, aren't they? That's the dilemma. There's no freedom or peace in trying to control your thoughts. It's the recognition they're not yours. That's the freedom. Because why? You'll lose interest in them. Like that. Seriously, and the fact is, once your interest is taken out of them, you'll see them for what they are. They're boring as hell. They've got a couple of themes. I'm going to lose what I have, I'm not get what I want. Okay, that's Oh, I'm worried, I'm worried, I'm worried. I may not be able to surf next year, but are you surfing today? Why not acknowledge that? No, I'm more worried about it. I won't be doing it next year. <laughs> this is the mental realm. We've said no to the experience of being here, and we've said yes to the me mental experience, which is a being there and then. Yeah. So every here now is weighed with there and then. Let's see. So all day, all you're doing is rehashing. The mental process just keeps rehashing and representing your day, doesn't it? How many times do you all go over a single incident? I remember when I was a kid, I was 10 or 11, I went through the hallway at school, and this girl said hello to me. And I swear to God, I went home and wondered what she meant by it for five hours. I must have sort, I looked at it in every possible way. Does she like me? Doesn't she like me? I just, the mind just represented it with a different uh, co uh, consequence hundreds of times. It's called obsession with it. Yeah? If someone came over to your house and was doing that with you, you would fucking ask them to leave. <laughs> but you've been entertaining this thing for years and years and years. Why is it? 
because you can't entertain being free of it because you think it's you. How can you ever truly entertain being free of something that you believe is you? You cannot do it. The mind, the conditioned mind, I'm telling you, it cannot entertain being free of something if it's identified as it. The best it can do is therapize it, you know, Hopefully you'll be able to enjoy a picnic without flipping out or something like that. Maybe some girl will go out with me for a few weeks or whatever. You know, that's the best I can hope for. But you can, you're sitting there trying to get a solution to this thing, and you're missing the only solution that holds water. I'm not that. What happens when that's entertained? So here's the mental process. Making up selfing, selfing, selfing. The sense of being the nouns there. Yeah? My mind, like in Buddhism they say, the ordinary mind and the enlightened mind are the same mind. Yeah? So here's mind, not the conditional mental process, but the mind. The mind has an ability to reflect. Yeah? That's why they call it self-reflection. Why do you think it's reflecting about self? It's mind. Consciousness is just conscious. Yeah? But mind is reflecting on this idea of being a self. Yeah? And when it reflected on it, it fell into its little identification. So here's this system called self-centeredness, and then this mind that can entertain and give meaning to things. That's what it does, yeah? It can entertain serenity and no peace. It can enjoy peace of mind. It can do all these things. All that stuff, it goes into this box yeah, of self-centeredness. And as soon as it entertains that it's the self, then all of the rest of its entertaining is defined by I entertain everything as a self, which severely limits its ability to entertain. Now it's in a forced slavery to entertain the possibilities that are offered in self-centeredness. And the possibility is, you're not okay now, I will be okay later. That's the best people can do. You ever see them when they're flipping out? Hey, what's happening? Oh, don't wait. I'll be okay later. It's taking me a while. I'm, in a, I'm processing. No, you're fucking not. You're a product of a process. There's no you processing anything. Yeah? But see, once you're out of that... That's the best you can do, because now your relief is based on time. And it's based on what you do and don't do. So this thing plays God. As soon as the mind is put into the self-centeredness, then that mental process, that mental process plays God. Your ability to entertain gets severely stifled, and now you're entertaining the possibility to offer. You'll be saved maybe later. Fairy princess, knight shining armor, getting enough money, finding the right job, getting 800 channels of cable, you know, three Super Bowls, this and that. Yes, these are the possibilities I can entertain. Distracting myself constantly from the unbearability of living as what I'm not. All right? That's what I call success. <laughs> it's like putting a marathon runner in your cellar in a four-by-four-foot oval and having it run around all day. Entertaining the same possibilities, rehashing, representing, rethinking, this and that, this and that. It creates incredible neuroses. It does. It's, got, it's like a bird that's kept in a cage. Is it truly a bird if it doesn't fly? A mind fettered to self-centeredness, is it truly that expansiveness like sky that they speak about in Buddhism? Is that the mind that you're entertaining now? Wide open, pristine, clear, able to reflect what? It can reflect awareness instead of reflecting self. Instead of living a life of self-reflection, you can live a life based on reflecting of awareness. 
It's almost as if in Zen they say, the mind turns and sees its original face, which is awareness. Not this billboard the mental process has put up, which is an idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Yeah? There's mind, it reflects on that, and it's called self-reflection. And what happens is this loop of self-importance occurs. So everything it comes in contact with, it's becoming in contact as this. Paul, yeah? It's like all your attention and interest is going into a black hole. And if you have faith in that, it produces anxiety in your life. The greatest devotees aren't like this of mind. They're like this. You watch. They're fucking worrying. Totally obsessed with what's not happening. They can't enjoy peace of mind. Because they entertain a possibility there won't be in a day or an hour later. There's no ability to entertain So there's that awareness. They say, oh, that's all there is, or consciousness. There's the mind. It can reflect that, or it's busily reflecting self. If it's reflecting self and entertains that, it entertains consciousness or awareness as a self, that ain't it. It's like St. Francis says, it's in self-forgetting that you're reborn. It's a verb. It's not one day you forgot self. Maybe some people that's happened to them when it's all over in this nanosecond. But most people, it's, it's a verb of self-forgetting. And in that self-forgetting, when you forget this as being you, you sense the presence of what you really are. It's this, by this absence that you know that presence. You cannot know that presence as this presence. Because this presence will make that seem absent. Doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like it's absent to you? Especially when you need it the most. Because the when you need it the most is when you're most present as the absence. You're totally engaged and you've given meaning to things and it's something is so important. And just when everything is so important and you really want that presence, it seems to be totally absent. Because you are totally there as this. It's by this absence, this truly is absent, that's the presence. So it's in self-forgetting that you're reborn. So we do things in recovery. You do some service. What happens? You have an experience of getting out of self. That's all that happens. Yeah? When you get out of self, that's the act of self-forgetting. You feel available. And when you feel available, you'll be available to the sense of presence because presence is present. And if you're available, what are you available to? Presence. When you're in mind, what you're available to is past and future. You're available to a mental experience, but when you're available here, you're in presence. So when you're in presence, so what happens to most people is they have an experience of it, they go back again into self-centeredness, and now they need to do more service, to have more experience with the being out of self. And then the times that their head says they're not in service, they seem to be totally in self. So they got to help. They got always their relief is based or predicated on time and what you do or don't do. But what would happen if just once, when you did some service and you got out of self and you sensed that being available, you, some people describe it as you just feel bigger, yeah, more open, lighter. It's a, that's what it is. It's availability. And when you sense that presence, could you imagine if you could entertain I'm that that presence? If I'm that presence, that means I'm always available. What's the word present mean? It's present. 
If I'm that, then I'm always available, no matter what my head is saying. And if I'm always available, I'm of service, no matter what my head is saying. You do not have to be of service only when you think you are. If you've let yourself over to this, if you've abandoned yourself to it, then you're of service, because now you're available because you're the presence. It doesn't get that brought up to this committee room. Let's see how, how present you were today. You didn't do much service, so you're not having the present. This is playing God, yes. The pause in recovery, that pause is also says pause when agitated. In selfing, you're constantly agitated. That's what selfing is. It's seeking. What is, that? What is seeking but agitation? Yeah? If you were sitting here, there's no need to be agitated, but if you're seeking, you're hoping that in an hour when I go eat, that meal's going to be so good and it's going to make what was unbearable being here bearable because now I'm thinking about there. That seeking is agitating the mind, isn't it? When you're sitting here, that's why people can't enjoy peace of mind. What is mind but peace? It can't be enjoyed because if you're de described and defined by time, they're seeking. You're definitely believing you're not enough as you are right now. So what? You're constantly on the lookout for the next advantage, for the next strategy. You're seeking, seeking, seeking. That's agitating, agitating, agitating. So a beautiful, pristine ocean can be seen as a wave in that agitation. A wave of a mental process, the idea of being a self. You can mistake the whole ocean and call it that wave. Let's say here, the mind recognizes that this is all that's actually going on. It's not a difficult leap, because it is actually all that's going on. You really don't have to work hard at it. Yeah? Acceptance is the easiest state to ever be in. Because it means you don't want to change anything, as it is. <laughs> I mean, really, there's absolutely no effort whatsoever. So let's say I'm sitting here, and there's that acceptance. What occurs? The mind chills out. Yeah. The mind's agitation. There's a pause. In that pause, what does it reflect? Does it reflect time, and is it in a moment? Or does it reflect a sense of timelessness? Have you ever been in a pause, isn't it? It's like a timeless moment between moments of time. And a whole lot of stuff can happen in a pause that someone in time would only see, it. oh, that was only a half a second. But that pause, your whole life can take a different direction. A pattern of behavior that's haunted you for 20 years can stop in that pause. And a whole new trail can be trod, yeah? Or treaded. Trod, trod. Yeah? A whole new path can be trod. Trod? whole thing. I've seen it happen. Just in a pause. A constant momentum of a deep mental groove of old behavior, and then suddenly it's just ready to react, and there's a pause, and then it gets neutered, and it goes another way. Never to return with the same velocity or amplification as before. That's when the problems do not exist for you anymore. It's a living way of seeing things. You see from the problem does not exist for you anymore. What that means is the solution totally exists for you. Because that's the only thing that produces the problem as not existing for you, is when you're in the solution. When you're in the solution, the, product, the problem does not exist for you. When you're in the problem, the problem will exist for you and not exist for you based on what you do or don't do, which is playing God.
So if you really meditate a lot and be really good and you you have your little, he's like a probation officer up there. If you walk in and say, well, I did this and this and this, okay, you can have a little peace of mind for five minutes. So playing God. This is a piece way prior to any understanding of self-centeredness. So the mind reflects awareness, infinite, never changing, nothing yet. It reflects and it sees the verb of awareness, which is to be aware of. And it recognizes by the intimation and by the being what it truly is. And that gives it immunity to what it's not. So as the mental process keeps presenting and representing and uh, taking upon itself to bring about false evidence with the hopes that it will appear real to you, you have immunity to it. And then something else runs your life other than self. And you'll know the problem by the solution. You really will. You will know they were on the money somewhat when they said the root of the problem is. But it wasn't obsession, it was identification as. Obsession is just what the mind does identified as self. It obsesses over it because it needs to have a bonding agent. It's not a natural bonding. You are definitely inherently not of self. So for you to be taken, to take yourself as a self, it has to be bonded. So there's a bonding agent, and that's a feeling wrapped with thought. And that bonding agent has to be re-glued every day because it's not a natural bonding. It doesn't take, it's like oil and water. It just doesn't mix, yeah? So what occurs is the daily narrative in your head, and all the thoughts in your head sound like you, eh? Yeah, yeah. How is that, how do they sound like you? They just sound like the vocal cords of this body, but you think the body's you, so it sounds like you. <laughs> so... It's the bonding agent, yes? Every day. Every day, every day, every day, every day. If you see that, you're not seeing from it. That's the freedom. Now your true nature, your true ability, which is to see, is being demonstrated. You're seeing what you're not. There's nothing more or less you need to do. Just see what you're not, and that's being what you are, which is seeing. Not you seeing, because if it's a you seeing, you won't see. You can't get away from duality yet. There's no fucking way. This mind, this dreamlike structure has a rule, a number of them. And one of the big ones is dualistic. If you, as an object, take yourself to be the subject, everything else is cast as an object to you. Now, everything that happens, all the verbing of life, it's like you put a flag and call, this is where I am, and now your mind pontificates about and gives everything else direction. Things are happening to me. I don't like. And something's happening to you I'd really like to have happen to me. And then everything starts being a whole map of what's going on here is made with this this flag putting down. Yeah, just like if you were on a ball, you would have no idea why where you were on the ball, except on the ball. But if you put a, a little map a flag there, then you go on five feet from the flag. So exactly mine puts it and now all the verbing of life, you see life is happening to you or not happening to you, that you want to happen to you. And everything is given direction. You give everything a meaning. And what's giving it the meaning isn't even you. It's a mental process. You're living its point of view. Why do you think you want to get loaded so fucking much? It's unbearable. 
literally. Remember when you used to go out, you look really cool, you have your nice outfit on, you know, go to the clubs, styling, you know, and you think you got it all down, you can handle your tweak and everything, whatever, you know, it's unbelievable. You can even find pride in being an addict, you know, it's incredible. It has its own hierarchy. The length you can stay up and how much you can handle your tweak, yeah, yeah, so all can handle this tweak, oh, yeah, that's, that's really good. So there you are doing your thing. And you, you think you're in control, but after about four or five days, let's say you're at a little party, you know, everyone's in there, you vaguely know everyone, they're on their own little stations, and then suddenly, the event occurs, the drugs run out, yeah? So then suddenly, you're looking around, you know, the cool is starting to wear thin, and you start looking down on the rug, and you look, and you get on the rug. <laughs>
it out. That's the only way it can attack you. It slips in. It puts a thought or two in there, and then you take off on it, and you add all the other thoughts. But it insinuates. It sort of leads and manipulates. Because it can't express. It needs you to get its food and its fuel. There are some examples of when it starts changing. One of them for me was I was in a tub one night and I realized I didn't want what I wanted. My whole life my head has been telling me a story about what I wanted and it was always something I didn't have at the moment. <laughs> Which made it really juicy and really made it suffer. It was incredible. And yet when I had what I wanted, I didn't seem to want it. But when I didn't have it, I really wanted it. And I woke up that night. I just started laughing uncontrollably, and I realized I don't want what I want. And it was just another tentacle of the parasite just getting removed. Yeah, the blindness coming off, and I just started seeing, yeah, just like I saw when I was a kid, unadorned by selfing. Yeah, wonder and awe became a possibility. Having fun, including things, not excluding everything learning I could live a life that I really enjoy and still make do. All of this happened with no thought or effort on my part. I just opened up to new possibilities because I came out of that slavery. Yeah. My head hadn't lost its ability to entertain, and it did not lose its ability to give meaning to things. But something you can plug into another source of meaning giving, not self-centered. And then you'll react and respond to life just like you did in the past, but what you'll be reacting and responding to will have a whole different meaning. Yeah? So when you have a lot of free time, you'll feel like you're rich instead of, i got to get busy and accrue value. You'll just, hey, shoot, this is awesome. You know, I don't have to do anything today. Let's see, do I really have to do anything? Nope. Okay. <laughs> All right. I think I'll just hunker down in that. Just start doing it. And then you see all that fear of that impending doom lifts, you know? You're like an animal that got beat when it was when it was young. It still carries that conditioning. It scares itself. You ever see cats like that? They see you from 20 feet away and they flip out. Like, you didn't do anything. They just scare themselves. Yeah? Jesus Christ! Whoa! What the hell? He's looking to their head and what the hell is happening there? We're like the same thing. We're afraid to ask for anything big because we think we're going to get beaten for it. People share and they go, oh, I felt really free, but they always bookend it with, but I'm still crazy. It's always pledging allegiance to the disease. It's like tithing to a god. I'm going to worry incessantly about nothing so that the big thing won't happen to me. This is like being brazenly free. Abandoning yourself without reservation. You're all going to get it. <gasps> Boogeyman, constantly. The thing you're afraid of, you're living it now. You're afraid of you're never going to embrace life. You're withholding it now every day. And you have an idea, oh, when that happens, I'll really be able to embrace it. No, you won't. If you're not able to embrace this now, you ain't going to be able to embrace that later. It's going to be withholding, 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 withholding. Then your life's going to end. This little... Play is going to come, the curtain's going to drop. And the narrator won't even have the last say. He'll be waiting for your head to tell you that you died, but you've died. The head dies too at the same time. There's, no, there's not going to be Paul's voice going, oh, I think I just died. No, bye bye. 
that's why we do this. You know, we're entertaining something together. Because the we is important. We can magnify the possibility and also magnify the ability to feel the presence. That's what these things are called, association with truth or satsang. They're meant to sort of make something that may seem vague and nebulous be able to be felt and sensed so that the head, the mind, can entertain the possibility that it can be free from that. Not free as that, because that's slavery, but free from that. So we have three meetings a week so that we can keep entertaining it. The certainty gets stronger and stronger, and all it is is certainty. <laughs> Once you entertain the solution, you will really know the problem, and the problem actually doesn't exist as you.
very high opinion of prayer, but I like a, a, the highest opinion I can have of prayer is that there's no need for it at times, which is great. Yeah. Prayer was like a, a way... See, in, in recovery, I think there are, there's, there's like a manipulated pause called the serenity prayer. Yeah. So where you do things... So prayer for me was, there was a real fear that something was probably not going to work out well, so I prayed that it would. Now, I'm fine. So I don't really want to have an advantage here or a strategy. Like I just had this lady who has these incredible wands for healing and stuff, yeah, supposedly. So they let me use it, really, zero gravity something, for a week. And then this other lady came to pick it up today who's bringing it to this yoga retreat. And they're very excited about it. And I said, they said, well, what do you think, Paul? I said, well, I didn't really use it. The dilemma is I don't really care. (laughs) That's the thing. I don't really care about getting super better. To me, that's the highest form of being better, really, is having no concern in a sense. Yeah? Or not that over-concern. The hope that if I do this, I'm going to be that. You know? That's over with me. Yeah? So the God of... It changes. See, and now it's at this point. In recovery, it says... God of our own understanding. I want to have a God of its own understanding. I do not want to have, let's say, this power source, its access point into this place to be a small frame portal that myself makes up. It's way, way underappreciating the enormity of that juice. I want to know that God that we're talking as, you know, of, by its own understanding, which is its infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing. Let that flood in. Not me playing God with that God and framing it with my idea of what I think God is. Because my idea is from self. And of course, self will always be the higher God than that. Yeah? I do not want that God to be a slave to the God of self. I want to know it by its own understanding. Yes? which is, it is much greater than the power of self, because the self has no power other than our power, which is God-like to me. That's what I see it now. But here there's different levels. You find yourself at different levels at times, right? Sometimes you haven't done a resentment inventory in a year or two. Then something occurs, you get angry. It's really cool to write their resentment inventory, share with another person. Then you see the beast again. Oh, another lesson about selfing. Okay, that's cool. Yeah? But the, the point to me is, I want to be free from maintaining any condition. To me, the highest level is to be the condition that you're trying to maintain. Yeah? If I'm that... What would be the greatest thing about a fear inventory? Not needing to do any. If there is no anxiety, what's there to inventory? That to me is, that I like. Yeah. I don't want to become a master of cleaning up the shit. I want to get rid of the dog. <laughs> if I get rid of the dog, there's, there's not going to be any shit on my lawn. Then I can have my, I can be like a free-ranged you know, an alcoholic running around and not worried. I can take my shoes off. I won't have to worry about stepping in shit anymore. And that to me is great. Yeah. But for a while, see, I had to manage the lawn because I was identified as the dog. I couldn't entertain being rid of the dog, so I had to learn how to clean up after it. That's what I had to do, and which to me is a form of slavery. 
no matter how good you get at cleaning up, it's still, you're on call to clean up. Yeah? 24-7. I'd rather have that job extinguished, the problem that exists for me, which is recognizing the dog isn't me, I can immediately entertain being free of it. Yeah? I can get rid of the dog when I see it's not me. I can't get rid of the dog if I think it's me. It's that fucking simple. So what am I going to do? I'm going to be living with the threat of shit on my lawn. Even if there isn't shit on my lawn, I'll be thinking there will, there will be. So I can't enjoy the lawn. I can't enjoy peace of mind because I think there's going to be shit there. Yeah? Why? Based on the past, there's been shit before. This is a whole other understanding. Yeah? If I get rid of the dog, there's no bringer of shit. I can live a shit-free day. And if I can live a shit-free day, why not another? Why can't that stabilize? Mine can entertain it. In one drop of ocean, you can get the whole ocean. One principle of the freedom from self, one, one example of the freedom of self, your mind can entertain and expand it to a way of life, as a life. Why not? Why not? If I have a direct hit on peace, then just like in my life, I never, I didn't know what surrender was. I got hit by cars, yeah, I've been shot at, I've been in jail, all this stuff, but I never had an experience of surrender. So I didn't know what it was. Then I was given an experience of surrender one day, and from that point on, my mind could entertain surrender. And so it entertained surrender, and it became surrendered. So it became a state that I live in, not something that happens to me anymore. Yeah? Mind has the ability to entertain. All it needs is the invitation. That's all we're doing here. We need an invitation. We're inviting you. You have now to let the mind entertain it. What happens is, the mind, the mental process will try to claim it, get the envelope, and read the invitation, and now start thinking, I'm entertaining this. But hopefully, you'll see that it's nothing, throw it on the floor, and then the mind may come upon it and go, hey, I'm not that. It can entertain being free of the dog, finally. Woohoo! Yeah? Not as the dog, but from it. When you're free from it, then you will know a new peace and a new happiness. Yeah? A new freedom and a new happiness, a new attitude and a new outlook. You'll comprehend the word serenity and peace. All these things happen. Because the mind's been unengaged from selfing into its size, which is its ability to entertain. It can entertain its original face. I'm consciousness. Instead of I'm a body. Same entertaining ability. Right now, your head, mind is entertaining on the body and all the things that come along with that. That same mind, I can entertain on awareness. What would that allow this to happen? You travel lighter, seemingly, as a body, if you realize you're not one. How can you realize you're not one? By being identified as it. You can't. Yes? I can't see anyone though, it's great. <laughs> I was just wondering if you or anybody that you know um, has ever, knowing this stuff, um, felt like they didn't need AA or to do AA after a while? Or I don't know. I don't know that many people. I can just tell you my experience. You know, I don't need AA. That's the great relief. I hope that's what I can express in AA. 
To me, that's the greatest attraction of all. Yeah? But I go to AA because I love it. It's my tribe, and I enjoy the sense of presence I feel at meetings. But I don't need AA right now. Yeah? In that sense, I love it. I honor it. I think that's what AA is truly about, is being free, even from AA. It doesn't mean you leave AA. See, people think when you're free from something, you're always going to leave it. Why? Why not be free from it and stay? To me, that's the greatest attraction of all. When I see someone like that, I want that. I want that freedom. Yeah? I don't want to become a great manager. I don't. It's not a, it doesn't interest me anymore. That's what I was hunting for. And now I, I don't want that. I'm not interested in that at all. I don't, I don't want to have, learn how to manage shit. I want to live without it.
retreat next Saturday, not this Saturday, next Saturday in Sausalito. We'll have a, we'll bring some information about it next week.